Welcome, friends. This is Nerdy AF. I'm Kina. I'm Julie. Yay! I'm so excited that you're here. You've been on a mini cab before. Yes. Way back in the way back times. It wasn't quite in the way back times. I think it was last June. Oh, wow. Okay. I think I came on to talk about art history, but then we ended up talking about the protests instead. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I have no concept of time anymore. Yeah, but you do a million of these and I've done one. So (laughs) That's true. That's true. Well, tell everybody about yourself. I am a photographer, a nerd. I love video games, horror movies, trivia, art, and art history of all forms. And I love, most recently, to cook. And so I've kind of been going down this journey about learning a lot of not just like traditional cooking techniques, but also researching cannabis cooking techniques, which is kind of... What got me to where we are today? <laughs> that's so cool. That is, that's a really cool thing because it's so new for mm-hmm. people to be experimenting with it. Oh, that's really exciting. And this was supposed to come out on 420, but you know, life happened. So it's a yeah. little pushed back, but I am excited life's that you're here. Hectic. And yeah. I think that it's fitting for our 420 episode to be procrastinated <laughs> more than a <laughs> week after 420. <laughs> It checks out. It's on brand. But yeah, you're one of the first people I met in Texas. Yes. That was so fun. We got to go to the tavern and we went to the clay pit. Yeah. And then I ended up working at the tavern as a cook eventually. I'd get a book. It's Haunted Texas and all those places were in it. I'm like, I've been there. You're like a treasure trove of just cool facts about Austin and (laughs) St. Marcus. And because of you, I know about the merpig. Yes, Ralph the Swimming Pig. Ralph. He's so, so handsome. He is. He's such a handsome boy. One of these days we have to do a whole thing on him in the mermaids. Yes. I still haven't made it there to actually see it in person. I definitely need to. I don't know what has stopped me. I was it- there recently with an earthly paranormal to do a paranormal investigation. Oh, cool. Unfortunately, we didn't get anything. I tried to speak German as well because there was like a lot of old German settlers. There were some witches that lived down there and they were of German descent. So I was like, if the witches up here are here, maybe they'll talk to me. That is so cool. Were you at the, the springs, that area? Yeah, we went to the headwaters and then we went over to the limestone. Oh, okay. And the limestone is, or sorry, not the limestone, the lime kiln. The lime kiln has been there since like the 1700s. Wow. Got in it. It was fun. (laughs) That's the best part about this area is everything is so old. I Mm -hmm. just, I can't get over it. I did go to the, is it really the oldest bakery in Texas? Because I've noticed that everybody says they're the oldest everything in Texas. Mm -hmm. When I see billboards, do people just say that or are they really? Sometimes they're like super specific. And those I kind of believe. Mm-hmm. Which one was it? Nagelin's? I don't know. They have a lot of billboards. And they have like the famous smiley face cookies or something. It was delicious. Everything that we got there was incredible. But it's German bakery. So I kind of believed it since it's a really mm-hmm. old German town. Yeah, I could kind of believe that if it's German. But I almost feel like there have to be 
bakeries from Mexico, you know? Yeah. From when this was Mexico. I need to look into that. <laughs> like, how you true know. are all these claims you're making? <laughs> That's like 100 years or older. I'm like, you probably are. You're probably right. <laughs> well, it's true. And I was also looking into because Seguin's trying to rebrand because, <laughs> dear Lord, but they're trying to do that. Like, we're like one of the oldest cities in Texas, but they will never specify. They just kind of like hint that they're in the top whatever. So I was trying to look it up, but everybody fights over who's the actual oldest. So I can't figure it out, but it was supposed to, it was founded by the Rangers. So I know it's super old. So probably like top 10 ish, but I can't quite figure out what they're trying to say. Cause some of them are like, yeah, we're like in the top three oldest places in Texas. But I'm like, that doesn't seem right. Just this location. I thought the Presidio area was one of the first. Is one I of the thought oldest. so too. Well, I know that after, the revolution the rangers settled in these areas outside of san antonio so i i don't know that it's all a little murky i i think that anybody from seguin is probably gonna get mad if they ever find like my tiktok because i'm questioning everything <laughs> <laughs> like the seguin guy he came here once one time and then the 70s are like let's go to mexico dig him up and bring him back here because we named the town after him and nobody thinks that's weird it's so weird. They didn't it's bring very his, weird. They didn't bring his family. He was buried with his kids and everything. They just left him in Mexico. But now he's in this little park with a little fence around him. And it even says, like, we went and got him for the centennial. This is very odd to me. <laughs> That's so bizarre. And they have a whipping tree. And everything I was reading about it was like, yeah, it was this big thing. They would march everybody out of the courthouse and everybody had picnics. And the way they talked about it was so casual. <laughs> it was like, that's horrifying. <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, it's so cool because you can still see the hook where they tied the prisoners. And so I went and looked at it. I'm like, this is really unsettling. Why are it is like a geocache area? People travel to just check out this tree. And I'm like, why is this not weird to anybody else? <laughs> So I'd be a terrible travel guide here. <laughs> I have lots of questions. Or like the hanging tree. It was just like, it was in the perfect place because it was halfway between the courthouse and the morgue. It was just the perfect tree. And I'm like, why is that what you're focusing on? <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> so I'm having fun. But it's clearly <laughs> the best location for it, Kina. And then it was like, tragically, the tree died when the road was paved because it couldn't get enough water. And I'm like, tragically, the tree died is the tragically of this. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Well, the tree didn't do anything wrong. The tree was fine. It was a lovely tree. I saw a picture. Great tree. But just the people that decided, like, that's the one we're going to hang people on. Yeah. So you see why they chose it, Gina. Yeah. And I mean, it's. Old West laws or Old West justice. That's how it was worded, I guess. But wow. <laughs> I do think there's something about being a tour guide that you really just have to desensitize yourself to saying really horrific things. Yeah. In like yeah. a bubbly, happy voice. Yeah, you don't want to bum everybody out with all the death. <laughs> I mean, we do have some fun stuff. We do have the pecan, you know, which I did find <laughs> out that. And I didn't know this because I, I was doing a TikTok series on the pecan, but I found out that they built the big one, which is the one by the courthouse. And then the town in Missouri built a bigger one. And then they started sending postcards like daily being like, ours is bigger. 
you're a liar. You don't have the biggest one in the world. We do. And just sent them tons of postcards till they finally built a new one in 2011. <laughs> it was the 80s, I think. So there was decades of them just trolling them about their pecan. They should have just rebranded it as the second largest pecan. And there was another guy that built a bigger one, but he didn't make it bigger than the one in Missouri. And he was like, well, that was a mistake. <laughs> didn't measure it, I guess. So now we have three. Small, medium, and large. It's it's great. I need to start doing other towns. I've been to a lot of the historic places in New Braunfels just because I'm so close. But St. Marcus, I, all my doctors are there now. So I need to start exploring. Yes. You'll have so much fun. Uh, it's so nice there. I really, really enjoy it. So let's jump into this. You're going to nerd out about something. And I don't know what it is, but I'm really excited. I just know an idea of who they are. <laughs> but I just know vaguely that it has to do with pot brownies. Yes. Gertrude Stein. <laughs> yes. But other than that, I don't know. I know of her, but I don't think I've ever researched her. Or I might mm-hmm. have, but I don't remember. So I'm really excited. So I'm actually really excited to do this too, because it's actually pretty hard to find information specifically about her. Most of the information out there is about Gertrude Stein or about Papa. <laughs> so I'm really excited to get to tell her story because yeah. she really was overshadowed by her life partner, Gertrude. Mm-hmm. I always love finding the people that we've never heard about and they deserve to be talked about. Yeah, and Alice B. Tolkis is who we're talking about. And she's so cool. She's the lesbian icon I didn't know I needed. So, everybody needs a lot of lesbian icons in their life. No matter what I you know. are, who you are, everybody needs more. And yeah, her and Gertrude, before I get too deep into this, I just think they're so amazing for being out proud lesbian women in the 1930s and 1940s. Yeah. And not only that, they were both Jewish women living in Paris. Oh, wow. So it was dangerous for them to be lesbian and Jewish at the time. And they really lived their life publicly. I didn't realize it was that early in history. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. So Alice B. Tolkis was born in 1877 in San Francisco. She came from a Polish Jewish family. Her grandfather was actually a rabbi. Oh, cool. So they came to California during the gold rush. And then her father ended up opening a dry goods grocery store. Okay. So they became successful. They moved to Seattle in 1890, where they became even more successful. There she attended the Mount Rainier Seminary. And then later attended the University of Washington for piano. Oh, wow. And she was really expected to become a great concert pianist, but she really didn't like the path that she was being set on. She realized from a young age that she was into women, and so she never wanted to kind of settle down and be that sweet housewife slash concert pianist that everyone wanted her to be. Wow, that is incredible, because I imagine that a lot of people probably didn't think they had a choice. Especially yeah. in those parts of history. They probably never wanted to have that life, but I guess a lot of people never had the opportunity to be like, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to be me. Yeah. And especially this was still late 1800s, early 1900s when yeah. all of this was happening. So she was a woman going to college 
in the late 1800s and decided not to be a housewife. Wow. That's uh, even so before you have the 20s where women are having their liberation. liberation. Yeah, that's even before. I, I imagine she probably didn't know anybody that had done that. So that the context of the oh, wow, blowing my mind already. <laughs> I know. I know. That's why like it's this all started with a pot brownie. And then I was like, Kina, <laughs> these people are so cool. <laughs> Later, her mother became ill, and so they moved back to San Francisco, where she was living when the San Francisco earthquake occurred. Five months later, she decided that she had nothing to lose, so she moved to Paris. There was nothing keeping her in California anymore. Wow. I keep on saying brave, but also, you know how scary it is just up in your life and be like, I'm just going to go to another country? (laughs) Exactly. With people that she vaguely knew. (laughs) Wow. She seems very adventurous. I dig her. I need. I know. I need to be her friend. (laughs) Come back. (laughs) I don't think it's a spoiler that she's not alive at this point. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She would be almost 150. (laughs) Spoiler alert. So the very next day after she moved to Paris, On September 8th, 1907, she met Gertrude Stein for the first time. Before Gertrude Stein became who we know her as today, and I will go over who she is for the people who don't know about her, but I also didn't want to make this all about her. Yeah, no, that's understandable. could have easily happened. (laughs) Even in her own autobiography, when she wrote her story, and she wrote this probably 40 years after Gertrude passed away, she abruptly ended her autobiography at Gertrude's death and then didn't write anything else after it. Oh, that's sad. Mm-hmm. Oh, ow, my heart. So, yes, she met Gertrude Stein and they ended up becoming partners. They moved in together in 1910 and they lived together until Gertrude's death in 1946. Oh, wow. So this is how she was kind of described in compared to Gertrude. She was her confidant, lover, cook, secretary, muse, editor, critic, and general organizer. Oh, like the ultimate partner. I know. Partner in life, partner in everything. That's so sweet. Their home became a very famous place for avant-garde artists living in Paris at the time to hang out. So among their notable guests, or people who frequented their home even, were Paul Bowles, Thornton Wilder, Sherwood Anderson, Picasso, Matisse, and Brock. Wow, those are some really heavy name drops. Hemingway was also good friends with them, though Alice was kind of the ones who would judge people's characters and decide if they could be part of their life or not. And she kind of decided to keep Hemingway at an arm's distance, thinking that he was attracted to Gertrude. Oh, drama. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. Hemingway described their salon in his book, A Movable Feast. And that's where we kind of learn about their dynamic from people other than themselves. Oh, that's really cool. So he kind of did the most talking about them, although they were really prominent socialites at the time in Paris. And so they were pretty well known to everyone. But it's cool because all of these people were creating and making art together before they were famous. Mm-hmm. 
That is really cool. I can't imagine how amazing a party would be with all these geniuses just hanging out and being creative and just probably encouraging each other. Oh, that'd be probably doing lots of drugs and lots. (laughs) The salon was like covered in paintings that I'm sure today would all be worth multi-million dollar paintings you know can you imagine and those are all really big personalities too that would just yeah. be a wild time to be amongst all that even okay, Picasso I, alone wow that's just oof. I do have quotes from some of them later and it does sound like they were very catty towards each other just like all of them bickering and being super pretentious <laughs> Yeah, Picasso is one of my favorite people because he's one of the few artists that was super, you know, famous in his lifetime. Like he knew how valuable he was and he would always Mm -hmm. write checks because he knew nobody would cash his signature. Imagine being that into yourself to know, be like, there's no way they would cash that because it's me. I just can't even imagine. Oh. I'm surprised that I've never seen an episode of Pawn Stars with a check from Pablo Picasso. <laughs> right? I know they have to exist. We learned about it in art history. Though. What a boss. <laughs> right? It's a power move. I could go on about Picasso all day, too. I don't think I wrote this in my notes anywhere because I didn't really get it from a source. I watched a one-woman play that was reading one of Gertrude Stein's memoirs. And so it's like someone dressed as Gertrude Stein in a set that was supposed to look like their apartment. And they talked about how her brother took a lot of her extremely valuable paintings whenever he moved out. And so Picasso was like, oh, you need more art. And then just painted more paintings for her. Oh, that's so sweet. And he actually did a portrait of her, which is really cool and just once again i would love to just be hanging out in the salon and then picasso be like oh hey here i i made this <laughs> painting of you for you really? can't even imagine what a life so what ended up actually boosting gertrude to her highest points of fame and kind of cemented her as a literary icon was her book the autobiography of alice b tolkas so this was the first time that Tolkis was really in the limelight as well. Okay. Before that, Gertrude was kind of the public face and Alice was in the background doing the editing. And when they described people coming over, Gertrude would be hanging out with all the genius men around and Alice would be hanging out with the wives, and she was kind of sent to entertain the wives. Those memoirs were actually written by Gertrude Stein, despite being called the autobiography of Alice B. Tolkas. But they were written from Alice's perspective. And their friends kind of said, yeah, that's really how Alice talks. That's the kind of dry humor she has. That's really how she views her relationship with Gertrude. She really took the idea of an autobiography and kind of flipped it on its head. That's really cool, though. It was her best-selling book, period. In 1998, the Modern Library ranked it as one of the 20 greatest English... This is a really complicated (laughs) distinction. Okay. 20 greatest... English language nonfiction books of the 20th century. Wow. 
Uh, she later admitted that she wrote the book in about six weeks and only wrote it to make money. Wow. That's really fast. Huh? Wow. I'm like, okay, James Patterson, calm down. <laughs> Just whipping out a top seller in six weeks. No big yeah. deal. That's inhuman. Who can write that fast? <laughs> so, okay, now I have some quotes from some of their friends about what they thought of the book. Oh, cool. Well, her brother Leo Stein said it was a farrago of lies. Ernest Hemingway called it a damn pitiful book. <laughs> Matisse was offended by the description of his wife, but it was considered to have created a new format for autobiographies, and it's considered one of her most accessible works. Oh, cool. So have you read any of her books, by the way? I've read sections in college literature and stuff, but I don't think I've ever read the full thing. She considered herself a modernist writer, and so she really experimented with different types of writing. So her book, Tender Buttons, is descriptions of items, and she said the idea was to paint an environment with words. Oh, okay, Um, cool. And those are among the books that make her a lot more controversial as an author Mm -hmm. uh, because I think people just don't get it. (laughs) They're like, that's weird. (laughs) There's also a lot of controversy about whether stuff in her books were truth or uh, fiction. Like maybe she struggled a little bit with the concept of the two, though she kind of said that she did that on purpose because everyone's truth is different. So she wanted to show the ideas of, different perspectives who knows if she came up with that description later after the fact (laughs) just kind of cover all your bases when people are calling you out (laughs) yeah just be like no i did it for the art (laughs) i mean art is subjective right Mm because that's the best part of it if people question you be like you just don't understand my genius this makes perfect sense you're just not on my level But also, I think that a lot of the criticism probably just came from her being an open lesbian in the 1940s. That's also very true. But since this isn't about her, I'm going to move back to Alice. So Gertrude Stein passed away in 1946, like I said. And this is when Alice first kind of was herself as an adult in the world, but on her own. And so she did start to dabble with writing. She wrote articles for like the New York Times and other publications, which I didn't write them all down. She was described by W.G. Rogers um, in his memoir in 1946. He said that Alice was, it's going to get so mean for a little bit. Sorry. (laughs) People are not kind to her appearance oh no okay okay embracing myself okay alice was a little stooped somewhat retiring and self-efficing efficing efficing Uh, facing facing that's a word oh my god we're gonna pretend like i know words (laughs) well there's self-efficacy that's what i was trying to connect i was like i know that word is that (laughs) she doesn't sit in a chair she hides in it She doesn't look at you, but up at you. She is always standing just a half step outside the circle. James Merrill wrote that before meeting Alice, 
one knew about the tiny stature, the sandals, the mustache, and the oh. eyes. Oh. But gotta he had not anticipated. <laughs> gotta call it the mustache? That's so rude. <laughs> okay. If you Google Alice Tolkis. Okay. <laughs> look at all the autofills. You're right. It's, it's brownies and then it's mustache. Wow. <laughs> yep. Brownies, Gertrude Stein cookbook, quotes, mustache, pot brownies, brownies. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> I know. And you know what? I respect her for never getting rid of that mustache. Yeah. There was a gangster lady, Madam Mustache. She kept hers too. Everyone's so mean for focusing on the mustache. She made incredible contributions to this pop culture as a whole. And people are like, mm, but that mustache. <laughs> How dare she? Humans have always been trash. That's all I'm hearing here. Yeah. We've always been garbage. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, it was actually about to get nice. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, good. The tiny stature, the sandals, the mustache, the eyes. But he had not anticipated the enchantment of her speaking voice, oh, okay. like a viola at dusk. Oh, well, that's very poetic. <laughs> I know. I was like, well, that was a turn. <laughs> it was. I'm going to tell you all these terrible things, and then I'm going to end it on a strong point. <laughs> You're welcome. But if you close her eyes, she sounds real sexy. <laughs> Alice B. Tolkas had a face for podcasting, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> she seems like the ultimate introvert, too, that probably would rather be on a podcast than having to see people in person. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think that's kind of why she always got overshadowed is because she wanted to be. Mm-hmm. It's like that she didn't want to like... be in the spotlight. Yeah. And content. Mm-hmm. Sounds like she was kind of content with it. Yeah. And while she always did want to be a writer, she didn't want it to be competitive. So she just kind of picked it up after Gertrude passed away Mm -hmm. because she was like, well, now I won't be competing with her. And also she didn't have any money after Gertrude passed away. Oh, no. Because despite wanting to not be a housewife, she kind of ended up in that role. Like she wasn't the one making the money uh, while their dynamic was completely different, at the same time, it's kind of the same structures that hold down women whenever they are stay-at-home wives. Just not having your own income, not having a backup in case something happens. So after Gertrude passed away, she had actually willed all of the paintings in their apartment to Alice. However, since they weren't married because it wasn't legal, her family ended up taking all of the paintings. Oh, that's so sad. And so, I mean, realistically, at that point, this was in almost the 1950s, the things like the Picassos and the Matisses were worth a lot of money now. Mm -hmm. And she probably could have sold off a handful of those and lived the rest of her life. But instead... She had to continue working. And so that's when she began writing. That's when she released the Alice B. Tolkis cookbook, which was kind of a cookbook, but also had reminiscent little tidbits of memoirs throughout the book, you know, talking about some of Gertrude's favorite 
meals and what she would cook for her and then telling cute little stories to go with the recipes in between them all. Not all cute, some sad, you know. And that included the first ever published cannabis food recipe. Wow. I would have never guessed it was that long ago. Yeah. So whenever it was originally released in the UK, before it was released in the US, well, it was released in the US, but they took out the pot brownies, which actually was a hashish fudge and it wasn't a brownie I found online where people have made the recipe and they're like, yeah, it's not good. (laughs) Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't make it. So it was originally published in 1954. Oh, okay. That still Um, seems really early for. Yeah. Well, I don't think it was illegal at that point. Yeah. I just, I can't remember when the stigma really kicked in. I don't think the stigma was really there until the counterculture movement, because that's when they, because in her recipe, she refers to it as cannabis sativa. Okay, yeah. It's before it was more popularly referred to as marijuana, Mm -hmm. which was a propaganda piece. So it, it was mostly called cannabis before the government wanted it outlawed. And so then... It started being called marijuana because it sounded foreign. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That makes perfect sense because it probably, nobody probably even flinched at it like they would after everything changed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hell, like George Washington smoked weed. Who cares? (laughs) But they called it marijuana and all of a sudden everyone's like, ooh, no. It sounds so bad. (laughs) Gonna rot your brain. (laughs) <laughs> exactly gateway gateway drug in the 90s everybody just screaming it's a gateway drug <laughs> don't do it this is your brain on drugs any questions <laughs> they really 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 tried to sell that it was just so bad and then no matter that's one thing i learned in college in my psych classes they talked about your brain's effect on different drugs but they're like no matter how hard they try to prove that it's bad for you they can't they just cannot because it your brain it has receptors for thc which is yeah we don't know what to tell you <laughs> it's all that i money. think there's a legitimate argument to be made that it's bad for your lungs to smoke yeah. it which yeah. is why we need to put it in more food. Exactly. Exactly. And the things they mix it with are really dangerous. So if you lace it, yeah, that could be super, super dangerous. But, you know, I learned in one class that they would just try to OD mice and you just can't. Like, you cannot you OD just on can't. it. I think that they eventually found a number, but it's something like you would have to smoke 750 pounds of it in a minute. <laughs> yeah this was so it's just cute. really not possible <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i was in school like what 2008 probably because mm-hmm. i'm old so at that point they, the mice were getting like 500 times a normal dose and they were just <laughs> tired they would just take a nap and eat and just, just like, going hey. to sleep <laughs> yeah give me yeah Legalized marijuana. I've never done marijuana in my life, which is probably the most shocking thing ever. It was never available. It's really not because you said I've never done marijuana ever. (laughs) I know. This one time, my roommate, my best friend in college, they made pot brownies for me because they knew I'd never had it. And they were so excited. 
And they had one while I was at work and they were going to wait till I got home and be like, here, eat this. It'll be great. But they ate all of them before I got home because I got home. <laughs> By the time I get home, they're just having the best time ever. And they're like, sorry, <laughs> we tried. It's like, it was a good effort. So that's the closest I ever got. So close. <laughs> You're right. I just totally called myself out. I've done the marijuanas. Never injected the marijuana. Before it becomes legal, I have all the things that it treats, like the anxiety and the pain conditions. So I'd be first in line. Give me that medical card. But and my yeah. dog needs some because he his anxiety is the reason I'm running on four hours of sleep today. So he needs some doggy weed. Little doggy <laughs> treats. Yeah, they have those bakeries Do for dogs. Yeah, people are working on how to infuse them in dog treats. That'd be an amazing business idea. Because really all you have to do is you have to, so this is kind of going into uh, scientific AF. So <laughs> I love it. So the way that it works is when it's in the plant, it's THCA. So if you just ate some raw weed right now, that would not get you high. It cannot get you high. So that THCA has to be converted to THC. And the easiest way to do that is with heat. Oh. So what you do is you like bake it for a little bit. And then from there, you could just eat the raw weed, but that's disgusting. So, <laughs> so if you cook it into fat, that allows the THC crystals to separate from the flour and then it'll bond to the fats itself. Oh, okay. So anything with fat in it, you could hypothetically, anything that you can cook with fat in it. So you couldn't do like egg yolks because that would, I take it back. You could make like a hollandaise, but like it has to be a fat that you could cook and not cook for 30 minutes. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I've seen on TikTok people, clarifying butter with it and mm-hmm. then making it so I that's like the most common what they yeah. the making pot brownies at home kind of thing <laughs> i think it's really interesting how people cook with it because like you said it's a science to figure out heat and what goes with it and what combines and how it binds to stuff and it can be really unpredictable in places where marijuana isn't legal mm-hmm. because you don't know how much thc is in a strain if you're getting it on the black market, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So, like, if you go to a store, you can, like, buy some and you'll know about how much it has and what effects it'll have. Or in those states, they even have, like, concentrated THC crystals and powders uh, and seasoning salts, things like that. So you can, like, actually know how much you're putting into it. So it's a lot safer. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So sorry. Back to (laughs) Alice. So this is pretty much the end of her story, sadly, but I definitely recommend looking her up. There are streets named after her now in San Francisco. I think she got a Lifetime Achievement Award. Oh, wow. The Alice B. Tolkis Democratic Club is a club that was named uh, after her, obviously. And it's like an LGBT organization. Oh, cool. So while she 
wasn't as well known and to this day isn't as well known. She does have a lasting legacy, which is really cool that at least she's being remembered by her own community. Yeah. No, that's, that's the coolest part. I think it's just, I mean, it must've been really difficult to be, I mean, it couldn't have been a very open community because everybody was hiding and yeah, it was probably very difficult, especially, you know, having a partner you spend your life with and then they die. And then people, like you said, like she wasn't married and didn't have legal rights. Mm-hmm. So sad. And she spent the rest of her life defending Gertrude's legacy too, because so not only at that point was she alone in the world and already being discriminated against, but her, life partner was being attacked by critics and people in the media and they would like for example whenever she published the cookbook people were like oh well of course that's why Gertrude's writing was so crazy she was stoned all the time and Alice had to be like no that wasn't even true that's awful I know people are the worst there's also a movie starring Peter Sellers from 1968 called I Love You Alice B. Tolkis and it it references her cannabis brownies and they pay a, play a significant role in the plot. That's amazing. So she did end up converting to Catholicism by the end of her life because she thought that she had more of a chance of seeing Gertrude in the afterlife as a Catholic. Oh my god my heart. I that is know. so sad. Oh, I know. Um, And then she died in poverty at the age of 89. She was buried directly next to Gertrude and they actually share a headstone. Well, that's sweet. At least she was allowed to, because if she was, she was Jewish. So if she remained Jewish, usually you're in your own cemetery and they have different rules. So that's pretty much the story of Alice Tolkis, a.k.a. A very long, high rabbit hole after watching an episode of Bong Appetit. (laughs) That's incredible. I'd never heard of her. Like I said, I've taken, you know, literature and stuff. So, of course, you've heard Mm -hmm. of Gertrude Stein or if you've ever taken like a feminist class or something. I think they touched on her and, you know, women of history. But I'd never heard of her. And it's kind of sad because she seems like she had her own thing in her own right. But she. Yeah. Ugh. Man. Now I plan on renewing my library card and reading both of those books. Yeah. I I'm gonna I wrote them down. I'm gonna find them. <laughs> yeah, I just kind of like glanced at photos when I Googled for her thing. She looks like a really cool person. I know. And, and then there's a bunch of people dressed up like her. So I think that's fun too. Somebody's dressed up like Gertrude, and then somebody's dressed up like her with a mustache, so (laughs) there's that. (laughs) I mean, it is a pretty defining feature of her face, and it actually looks like she trims it and keeps it tidy, you know? Mm, Yeah, it does. So maybe we're the ones being judgmental. Maybe they were just stating a fact that she has a mustache. And it was France. Like, they were very open with body hair and stuff, too. Yes. You would think they'd be cooler and not pointed out. (laughs) Very free. That was like a really cool time in history. That period of art was just so cool. People were just living their best lives. 
And they were creating brand new things that had never been done before. Yeah. They really were setting the stage for everything that was about to come. That would have been just like, it was just, yeah. Like Moulin Rouge where it's like the bohemian thing where they're just all sitting around getting high and like thinking of art. That's what it just. Exactly. (laughs) That's what I thought of too. Uh, That'd be a really cool time in history to be in, you know, minus all the other stuff that happens, but. (laughs) I'd love to meet Toulouse Lautrec. Right. He was also just a cool person. Even Alice, she probably channeled her grief and her depression into what she was writing after Gertrude died. Gertrude and Alice both struggled so much in their young lives with their sexuality. And that's something that they both kind of talked about, too, is how much they struggled with their sexuality before they met each other. I mean, it's hard now. I'm sure to even come out can you imagine i mean at least now there are lgbtq plus organizations and the internet and you can feel less alone Mm because you know other people exist but i can't imagine in early 1900s how isolating and sad that must feel yeah i i mean i i'm lucky because i'm bi so Mm -hmm. i just like wouldn't you know yeah But that has to be so difficult to hide that part of who you are. Mm -hmm. And it's probably like self-preservation, too, because you don't know how people are going to react or if you're in danger because it was a real threat. Yeah. Like the Nazis were out there killing gay people and they were out there killing Jewish people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Must have been so scary. Like, they lived in Paris during the German occupation. How crazy is that? They must have been so scared. Especially because they were out for the most Mm -hmm. part. Lord have mercy. And, like, the Germans probably were asking around. And they probably knew. Especially because Monuments Men, they were actively seeking out art and artists. and Yeah. And they were well-known art collectors and socialites. Right? You know? <laughs> that makes me wonder how close they were to being like seized or anything. It's kind of amazing that they weren't. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been so much fun. And I learned so much. And every Yay. time I see a brownie, I will think of Alice. <laughs> Everybody cheers your pot brownies to Alice from now on. <laughs> Cheers to the Cannabis Queen. You will have a podcast soon, eventually, hopefully. Eventually. In the meantime, I'll be on Hellbound Pod coming up soon. Oh, I love Uh, them. Yeah. Yay! Yeah, Lara's wonderful. She's finally fully vaccinated, I think. So I'm going to go over there soon. We're going to record in person. Oh, that's exciting. Human interaction, you know. You just know. You just need it. So- like. well, thank you so much. And I'll talk to you later. I want to thank my guest, Julie, for joining me again. This is such a good episode. I am so excited that you joined me to geek out about Alice. If you would like to be a guest on a nerdy AF, send me an email. Historicallyapod at gmail.com. If you'd like to watch this video and see all the photos and all the deleted scenes and bloopers, then join Patreon. That's patreon.com slash historicalafpod. You can follow me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at historicalafpod. And finally, 
Look at the merch store at a shoptatspreadshirt.com slash historical AF pod. Thank you for listening. Say hi, mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> okay, guys. I'll see you next time. Bye. I will not. Yeah. <laughs>